My name is Peter, and welcome back to Pardon My Passion. In today's episode, I'm chatting with my friend Christian. So over the summer, Christian inherited a bunch of vintage cameras from his grandfather. These are cameras that look like they're out of an old era film. You know, those clunky, primitive-looking cameras that you'll only really find hipsters using these days. And that's that's what I had dismissed it as. Christian had descended deep into hipsterdom. Next thing you know, he's going to get、uh, an old typewriter, and the only way to track him down is going to be to peer through the window of every mom and pop cafe in town. But then, as he got more and more into the hobby, it seemed like something that was actually meaningful to him. So I wanted to talk to him about it. This is an episode about analog and digital hobbies, and what they may have to do with your attention and mindfulness. Please enjoy. Tell us who you are, and how, how would you spend a free Saturday?、Uh, my name is Christian. I like to, at least lately, I've taken to film photography、um, and photography in general, but like walking around, exploring, finding stuff to shoot, that kind of thing. Well, I'll probably I'll probably go for a walk, bring my camera. I'm trying to finish up the roll of 35 millimeter that I'm using, so I've got I think 12 shots left.、So、I'll try and do that just so I can get that in and get it developed because I've been I've been like dying to see how the pictures have have turned out. <laughs> That's gotta be hard, dude. <laughs> no, it's taking it's... all these shots. <laughs> you have no idea how they're turning out. No, it's it's cool. It's like.、Um, It is. It is different because I mean I'm so used to like you take a shot, you can check right away what it looks like, make adjustments.、Um, but it's like it's sort of like when you order something online, and maybe not these days when you can get stuff shipped to you like next day or two days.、Uh, but like I remember being like as a kid, whenever I ordered something or when I had any kind of mail, like order something from Scholastic, like the the flyer you'd get at school, you like send in the form of like what book you want,、um, and you have to wait for a couple weeks. And you kind of, it's like you kind of forget about this thing. It's in the back of your mind. You're kind of like anticipating it, but then when it arrives, you're like so excited. It's like, oh yeah, I totally like. I wasn't thinking about this, and I remembered that like this was coming, and you're super、mm-hmm. excited to actually like have that thing there or like receive receive the mail or whatever it is. What's the antithesis of this when it comes to modern digital things? Is it is it downloading like back when we downloaded songs, where you just Click download, and then ten minutes later, you have the song that you can load onto your yeah your iPod Touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I guess that's the thing is that we've over time、uh, that's sort of been the goal with a lot of technology and 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 the internet is to make things faster and more instant, right? Like the fundamental like interface of the internet hasn't changed in the last ten years, but it's got a lot faster. So Netflix went from a company that mailed you DVDs to Being able to stream a movie in full HD or 4K even、um, on your internet connection in your basement, like it's it's still the same fundamental purpose in the last 10 years. I mean, Netflix has stopped doing DVDs in like I think 2009, but it's just gotten so much faster. So everything's way more instant, right? Like you can share things instantly, you can consume things instantly,、um, and so there isn't that like that feeling that you get of waiting for mail or waiting for <laughs> for something good that you're looking forward to. Because it's always、right. instant gratification. I mean, it's, it's similar with like sourdough. That was a big craze this year, right? Like people were baking all the sourdough. I mean, and you know, you you're you're doing kombucha. Sourdough, similarly, you have to have a starter that you have to sort of nourish 
and and grow uh and then you can use some of it in the dough and, and then you get to see how it works and it'll change over time just based off the composition of the starter and, and how fermented it is and which changes the flavor and stuff um, but you don't know until you can actually get in there and make some more bread from the starter so what is the appeal of waiting for your sourdough to rise of taking all these shots and waiting to go and finally develop it and, and, and look at your shots. Does it fundamentally change the activity? What are the pros of analog over digital today for you? So I, I, I think like, it's not necessarily that there's one's better than the other. Uh, I don't really have a preference. Like I use them in different situations. Like I like shooting digital and like I'll shoot digital more than I shoot film for sure. Partly because it's cheaper. Uh, but partly because you can experiment more, you can play with it, you get instant feedback. But film, like, and other other things like that, where it's you have to sort of devote more attention and be more deliberate in the process, because you don't know how the outcome, you don't know what the outcome is going to be until you actually go and get the whole role developed, right? So you can't, like, just mess around, take a shot, check it, change a setting, take another shot. You have to get the settings right the first time, sort of know and understand how to use your tool. Uh, and how to interface with the situation in front of you. And so I think it, as, a, as someone who's taking pictures, it makes you connect with what you're shooting more. It makes you focus on the composition and the lighting a lot more because you only have that single shot. Uh, but it does, I mean, that's, that's for me the big appeal is that it forces you to one, like understand your tools better, understand the craft better. Uh, and two, it, it makes you involve yourself more in, in sort of what you're looking at, what you're shooting rather than just sort of being like, oh yeah, look at that cool thing over there. Let me like snap a picture with my iPhone and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. You have to spend a bit more time setting it up because you only really have, have that one shot. So I, I, I can see the appeal in that. You're, you're almost creating a commitment device for yourself to be more mindful of this particular activity. It's something that is going to cost you money per shot. It's going to take you time to go and develop it. And you're going to be like a kid on Christmas Eve, like waiting for, for pictures. I guess you can, you can have that appeal. But the, the practical like engineer side of me wants to be skeptical. You know, engineers have <laughs> worked on this problem of how do we make the barrier to taking pictures lower, right? So if you go back an entire century and you look at what primitive technologies they were using then to today where anybody could could take out their phone and snap some sort of a picture and then in a few seconds send it to anybody else in the world right so the barrier to taking pictures has been deliberately lowered I, i'm not asking to be convinced to shoot film i, I mean i think i've had like <laughs> some interest in how the tech works to understand it uh, to, to to play with it and maybe to gain an appreciation for what our predecessors had to use to, to take pictures. But today, when you have a digital camera, is, is that what this is? Is this a commitment device to make yourself more mindful of this activity? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's expressly that. And I think it's it's different benefits. Shooting on film, you have to be much more focused on what you're doing. It's, it's a much more deliberate process. I think I think they occupy sort of a different a different purpose. I don't necessarily think you can shoot one or the other. I think it helps to shoot both. You have to understand how to set the shutter speed, how to set the aperture, how that 
how those two things will interact with each other and how that'll interact with the ISO of the film. Um, so it's like you have to understand a bit better around the whole process and how, how these different settings will affect the outcome when you're shooting. And so I think that for me has been the big benefit is, is it using it as a, as a learning device uh, to kind of force me to, to have a good understanding of, of what's happening when you're taking a picture. And because that's like the same thing that I did when I when I got my Fuji was like I I told people like okay I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use this really until I read through the manual and like understand all the settings on it understand how to use it because I wanted to make sure I would actually get into it and I'd actually use it instead of just like buying a new camera and then letting it sit there because I don't really know what to do with it but I know I can take pictures sometimes uh, but I knew that I wanted to actually turn this into a hobby and this to be something that I would like to do rather than like having a tool that can do a thing that I would only sometimes do. That's more than common, eh? For people to yeah. to run to Best Buy, go and buy a middle-of-the-line DSLR because they see that that's what everybody else uses to take nice pictures. And maybe they think, oh, because I have this piece of equipment, I just need to point at things I want to take pictures of and they're going to come out magically beautiful like what I see on Flickr and Instagram. Well, exactly. Yeah, I think I think that happens a lot, and like that was that was exactly what I wanted to avoid. So that's an interesting point that you made with the other analog hobbies, like uh, listening to vinyl over playing Spotify off your Sonos Bluetooth speaker, reading off a physical spine book as opposed to your Kobo. Um, do you think that there is a a component of these activities as lost? when we jump straight to digital? Do you, do, you, do you think that there's a sterilization by virtue of having such a low barrier to access, of having these things be so ubiquitous that you and I might not be enjoy, enjoying it as much? I think, I think the real concern is that we as consumers end up taking some things for granted. Music, video, pictures, all this stuff has become so shareable and so ubiquitous uh, that we don't really appreciate cons like the actual act of consuming it, right? Because Spotify, you can just have it on your phone, you can have your earbuds in all day listening to whatever music you want. It's just background. You don't realize that, okay, you have a band recording in a studio, you master the record, you have to print it, you have to go down to the store, buy a record if they have stock of the record, bring it back home, put it on your turntable and then you can't even pick out a song because it's a circle how do you pick a track you just have to listen to the whole record start to finish mm -hmm. and i think that's uh, that's something that i kind of realized that i'd never done until i, th I want to say like 2014 2015 when i listened to uh to pimp a butterfly by kendrick lamar uh start to finish um i think that was the first time i'd ever listened to an album in its entirety straight through because I, we grew up with with cds and sort of the tail end of cassette tapes, uh, where you can just pick out a track and be like, next track, next track, next track, and you get to the thing you're looking for. For reference, we were born in 1995. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think that's sort of the thing. We, we miss that. Like, we don't realize how hard it is to make videos or to produce photos, like you were saying. Some people think they can just buy an expensive camera and they'll be able to sort of be shooting stuff that's as good as like the really good photographers you see in like National Geographic or um, like stuff on Flickr and like just professional photographers. Like you won't be able to shoot that much unless you actually understand the craft and the editing process and all this stuff. 
But because we see like what we think are like good pictures everywhere all the time, uh, we think that the, it's it's much easier. And I think we see this with like YouTube and stuff now too. That anyone can shoot video of themselves and share it, but like to actually be successful, you actually have to be good. That there's a lot of work that goes into it behind the scenes that that a lot of people don't see and don't appreciate because the media is so ubiquitous. I mean, I, I say this like I'm, I'm some kind of authority. Uh, I, I'm just a guy speculating. No, you're the you're the resident hipster. So, <laughs> so I yeah, I think I I can appreciate that that today, while digital is much more ubiquitous, uh, still using analog gives you the best of both worlds. Um, it, you have the accessibility and the convenience of digital, and you have analog if you choose to use it to help you appreciate. Uh, the tool and to to help um, make it a commitment device to involve yourself more in in the arts. So uh, one one thought that I had talking about this is that it seems like it's it's in our nature that once we have improvements on some facet in our life, if it's our quality of living, if it's the technology that we use that helps improve our quality of living, it seems like that always becomes the new baseline. Right. I don't think that people,、uh, let's say, 50 years ago, what that would take us to the 1970s, yeah, before digital cameras. I don't think too many of them were complaining. It's like, ah, shit, this really sucks. I can't take more than a hundred shots at a time. Oh, this sucks. Like, I have to go to the record store to buy music from my favorite bands. You mean I can't just have everything in the palm of my hand? <laughs> like the entire digital. Repository of all music in the world. I, people in the seventies didn't, didn't think about that,、mm-hmm. um, and they were they were happy with the the medium at the time. I remember maybe like seven years ago, hearing about a paper or reading a paper. I think it came out of UCLA. Can't remember who wrote it though, but it was it was about note taking on paper versus on laptops because this was about like university students taking notes during lecture. Um, and like previous papers had sort of looked at, okay, are students more likely、um, to get distracted while they're taking notes on the laptop versus like students doing pen and paper? Whereas this study actually looked at, okay, if students are only using the laptop for taking notes, like not getting distracted, they're, they're, there's nothing else they can use the laptop for. Is their memory retention as good as students who are taking notes with pen and paper? And they found that like actually taking notes with pen and paper helps people learn better than taking notes on a laptop. And apparently, the mechanism is that when you take notes via pen and paper, you have to actually process the information more. You can't just write down everything that's being said, which you can do on a laptop because it's faster, right? But because it's faster, you're not getting as much information, and you're not actually absorbing the information、uh, that you do when you write it down pen and paper. Actually, that's a really good analogy. In undergrad, a hundred percent of my notes were digital,、mm. and in third year, I bought a Microsoft Surface. Which is a, a tablet. I just loved how you could have all your notes in, in one place. You can have take them all in OneNote, and then it would sync on the the internet. You would never have run the risk of losing your notes.、Um, and then you can go back and you can add to it. You can. I, I just liked having more information、uh, so that I can edit it down later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think for me, I never actually took notes. I might have for like maybe two months. Um, on my laptop, because I found that I would just never revisit them. It's sort of like a out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. 
Whereas if you have like a, a physical notebook and you know there's like, oh yeah, this book is for math or this book is for algebra or this book is for like econ, you know that like your notes are in there and that, that book is for that purpose. Uh, whereas a computer, because it's so multifunctional, you could be doing anything on it, right? And it's like, it, you're not, it doesn't like get your brain into that mindset. For me, that's sort of how it's always worked is that with a computer, you have all these notes on the computer, but if you don't open OneNote or if you don't open Word or whatever, you don't have to look at them. There's nothing demanding your attention. You have to actively go seek them out. Whereas with a notebook... Isn't the same true for a notebook? Well, with a notebook, it exists in physical space. So you can't, you can't completely ignore it because you'll see it. Like you have to put it in your bag or you have to put it on your desk or you have to put it on a shelf. Uh, it exists somewhere. And I think that's similar with, with, I don't know, with vinyl and with, with what people say about like appreciating analog technology like that is that it, it, there's a physical aspect to it. It demands your sort of physical attention. Uh, vinyl mm. has that whole ritual of taking the record out of the sleeve, placing it on the turntable, placing the needle on the record. Uh, that sort of sets you in the mindset ready to listen to music, right? Whereas there's no such ritual for Spotify because the ritual is the exact same thing you do on any other application on your computers where you, you click on your Spotify window, you click on the play button, that's it. But it's, that's the same motion action that you do for any other thing that you want to do on your computer. So it doesn't sort of immerse you in the, the mindset as much. And attention really is at a premium these days, eh? Exactly. I mean, I'm all about focus <laughs> and attention because I think people are very, very bad at picking what to give their attention these days because things have been designed to make it easier to continue to give your attention to something like Facebook or Instagram. People are just sucked in rather than deliberately choosing what they want to spend their time on. I feel like that's kind of harsh on the average person, though, to say we're bad at choosing what to give our attention to. I mean, you're, you're right. It is like the, this is by design. But I guess like some people also, because they are bad at choosing what to focus on, they don't go in with the intention of saying, I'm going to sit down to try to focus on reading. I'm going to sit down and uh, catch up on what my friends are doing in their lives because I, I, I guess you're right. Like since everything is being done on these electronic uh, devices, your phone, your laptop, how many 20-something year olds today don't wake up and the first thing that they do is not go to the bathroom but check their phone. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think it's harsh. Like I think, I think people are up against crazy odds. Like you've got companies that have spent millions and millions of dollars on how can we design our app to be the most addictive? How can we keep eyeballs on this page for as long as possible so we can feed them more ads? And I think it's really hard to succeed as an individual when you're going against that. Like, you know, you're, you're going to not win. You're not going to come out on top every single time. It's difficult because that it's designed to be difficult. What, was there a moment that made you want to unplug yourself from the matrix? I mean, it's sort of, I think for a lot of people, we don't realize how much time and attention we spend on things that we don't really want to spend our time on, right? Like that's, that's ultimately the, the trick that they're playing on us is we will scroll through Instagram 
Twitter, Facebook, whatever, just to see like new content, get a hit of dopamine. We don't really deliberately do that. And we don't really notice like you're sort of it's 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 not something you really pay attention to. Like you'll be like, oh, that was longer than I wanted it to be. I think I think people aren't aware of how much time they're spending. I think for me, I've always been like thinking about this because I have a bad habit of uh, getting distracted by things in general. And I think like I've always been trying, I've, I've, I've long had a goal to be more deliberate uh, in where I give my focus and my attention. Um, so I've been trying for a while to just practice and get better at, at picking and choosing what I'm actually spending my time on. So you said that you found that you were bad at focusing on things. I mean, you and many others, but I think the other thing about you is that you give yourself a hard time once you've noticed that that's fact. Once you've noticed that you've spent the last half hour or one hour much longer than you were hoping to when you pull out your phone on Instagram, for instance. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I just feel like you're, you're the most like, enlightened one in the, in the friend group. Maybe you and Kazra <laughs> as well. You guys have become the pioneers in taking this initiative for mindfulness, for more deliberate action. And it's, it's cool. Like I've tried to adopt some of these habits and to eliminate uh, distractions, right? Like I, I, I got a smartwatch many years back. Like I've always been on the smartwatch train. And I loved initially how you can get all of your notifications delivered right to your wrist at any time. You, you have all the notifications on your watch and you can choose when you want to pull out your phone. And then I didn't realize for the first like year or two uh, or three maybe of having a smartwatch just how much that was deteriorating my attention span. Yeah. I would be doing something and then like boom, I get a notification and then suddenly I'm not doing the activity that I was doing when I got that notification. Yeah, so today yeah. I don't, the only things that my watch buzzes me for is uh, alarms and, and phone calls. But you've taken a step further. You're currently on a Facebook and Instagram purge. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's not a big dramatic thing. It's more just like, because they're sort of the de facto ways to communicate, everyone uses Messenger, WhatsApp, Instagram, whatever, very passively, right? People aren't like, oh, I'm going to schedule in some time to, to scroll through Instagram check the posts, check the stories. Like people don't do that. It's more for like passive dopamine hits throughout the day, right? And that's like super common behavior. Everyone's doing that. For a while, maybe like the last five, six years, I've been more aware of where I am putting my attention, where I'm spending my, my attention. And a lot of that just comes from like, that was, that was my first experience with like mindfulness meditation and thinking about okay, what are you actively thinking about? Or what are you passively thinking about? Like what is occupying your mind right now? And so I, yeah, I wanted to just take some time off from Messenger and Instagram. For, for, for like these five days, like I've, I've messaged people, I've told them like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna be offline on these platforms on these days. Like if you still wanna like talk to me, you need to reach me, like you can call me, you can text me, WhatsApp. And like that, that works. Like it's not like I'm cutting myself off from communicating with people but I'm cutting myself off from these sort of time sinks that I'll just like sit on and like message people, talk to people, reply to people. Um, and it feels like it's validated because you'll see messages waiting for your responses, right? And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, like, I'm allowed to do this. Like I'm allowed to reply to these people. That's like, that's a fine thing to do because like I need to talk to people, right? But it's not necessarily the case that you need to talk to people 
all the time, like passively, like throughout the day, uh, instead of like sitting down and having like an active conversation with them, which I find like much more valuable. And that's sort of been like my gripe about messenger and social media lately is conversations and and socializing went from something that was active like face to face or like over the phone to something that was passive where you'll message somebody you'll be like hey what's up and they'll reply to you a couple hours later so you get these like disjointed conversations that will have no end point right like it's seldom that a messenger conversation really ends what usually happens is that someone just doesn't reply whereas in person like you have an end to a conversation. And I think that makes conversations more meaningful because there is some kind of scarcity of time. Whereas when you have all the time in the world to reply, I think conversation quality is not as great. So here's the devil's advocate question. Why should we be having these more meaningful conversations? Can you convince someone that these conversations are more meaningful? Couldn't a skeptic say, well you know what, this way I'm, in, I'm able to engage with not just one person at a time, but five, right? Like I, I could always be on. Yeah, I think that's the big benefit that, that social media provides is that you can, you can engage with almost anybody you know, anybody you don't know in real time. But I think with, with friends and like close social ties, uh, what I've found in my experience is that it does diminish the quality of conversation when conversation happens in these disjointed tidbits, right? I mean, I think maybe that works for some people. Maybe some people prefer that. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know many people that have said they prefer that mode of conversation over like actual back and forth dialogue uh, in person. Um, I'll tell you that it's easier. It, it lowers the barrier to to conversation. It's It's much easier for me to to look up on Facebook Messenger a friend that I haven't hit up in a while and just say, hey, like, what's, what's, what's new? Than it is to see if I actually have their number and, and to call them yeah. or to, to schedule a call. It's definitely easier. No, I, I, don't, I don't dispute that. I agree it's easier. I think, I think that's part of why I feel the conversational quality is lesser because there's so much ease in starting the conversation. So it's like if it's someone that I haven't talked to in a long time, I can easily just like message them and be like, hey, what's up? But because it's so easy, I didn't have to put a lot of effort in. I might not even care about replying to them if they get back to me, right? Like, I, like there's no commitment to that conversation. So a, a theme that I'm seeing with this appreciation for uh, more deliberate conversation and also in common with analog over digital uh, media is that it, it's almost as if we're making things deliberately more difficult in order to appreciate it more. A little bit, yeah. Which yeah. seems ridiculous. It does, I agree. It seems, it seems crazy that you'd wanna make something harder. It's like what I said about shooting film. I don't want film photography to replace digital at all. Like, it, that would be crazy. Uh, I don't want to only shoot film. Um, but I think that having the option or that choosing to do that provides benefits because it takes you out of always shooting digital, right? And same thing with like conversations. I think having face-to-face -face conversations feel much better. It feels much more fulfilling socially to talk to someone face-to-face -face or on the phone uh, than it does to sort of message them slowly back and forth over the course of a week or two weeks, depending how quick people are. Um, I think like, but I, like, I don't want to go back to a time where I have to call people or I have to write people letters 
uh, just to communicate with people, especially if they live across the world. Like I can message my friends that live in various parts of the US or Europe or in BC and be able to talk to them. I think even more so now because so much communication is done in that way, these face-to-face -face conversations become that much more important and more fulfilling because it's, it's something that we don't get as much of. So what I'm hearing from this entire conversation is that we should all throw our phones out the window, go get a Nokia brick phone, <laughs> and stop paying for Spotify premium. No, I'm kidding. I think there is uh, that common thread between, uh, between having analog activities to supplement your digital convenience. There, there is an analogy between that and being more mindful and deliberate with your interactions with people. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's, that's what will help people be happier. What we're facing in a lot of the, the developed world is um, sort of a mental health epidemic when it comes to anxiety, increasing rates of anxiety, increasing rates of depression, uh, teenage suicide. Um, I think a lot of it is driven by the kind of social media environment that we live in. And I think if we're not careful about being deliberate and being able to focus and, and pick and choose what we spend our attention on, we risk getting sucked up into that kind of environment where, where all that matters is likes and validation and feedback that you get on those platforms. And you don't get to appreciate sort of the very real pleasures that we have all around us. Well, there you go. Some words of wisdom from our very own Christian Muller. Perhaps in an age where it seems natural to do as much as possible, to take many shots, it's by slowing down and thinking about how we're going to take that one shot, because there are only so many, that we will change the way that we take all our other shots. Thanks for listening.